Welcome to the Triage Method Podcast with me, Gary McGowan, and my co-host, as always, Mr. Patrick Carroll. Paddy, how are you? I'm positively splendid, Gary. Although, London the last while, you know, it hasn't been as summery as I'd hoped. It's nice and warm. It's always in around the 20s to 25. Nice. But it's just a little bit too overcast, you know? Um, but I suppose that is what you get for living in the British Isles. How's the how's the weather over there for you? In Mexico, uh, I just left a place called Puerto Escondido, and that was kind of horrible to be honest because it was just ruthlessly humid. Uh, glad to have left there, and now in a more temperate area up in the mountains at about two thousand two hundred meters in uh, San Cristobal, something like that. But uh, yeah, still warm, but just not as humid, which is uh, much more enjoyable. We love to see it. Anyway, Gary, what are we talking about today? Today we're talking about field support. So we're continuing the how to train theory and we're moving to the focus on sports performance. And we're talking about field support generally because this obviously encompasses a lot of different athletes who have a crossover in terms of their requirements, but definitely some differences. So this would be things like, uh, you know, uh, Gaelic football, regular football or soccer, uh, rugby, American football, potentially, hockey, lots of different sports that would fit in here. They, they, of course, as I said, have their own individual requirements, but they have some things in common in that you re- you're required to be on your feet. You're required to do things like re- repeated sprints, jump, change direction, cover certain amounts of distance to be able to kilometers over the course of a match, and so on. So as a result, there, there are common features that we might look at in a strength conditioning program that someone would use to improve their sport performance both in and off season. 100%. I don't have much to add except that, you know, there are obviously differences. I, that's the thing that always, like people always focus on. They're like, oh, well, their rugby is clearly different than football, like soccer. Uh, so we can't even consider the two of those with treating them completely differently. And obviously, to an extent, yeah, that's right. Like if you're a rugby player, and especially if you're in certain positions, uh, you're going to need to focus on certain aspects a bit more, i.e., let's for, say, for example, having more muscle mass, being stronger. Yeah, obviously, if you're tackling people, like rugby tackling people, you're going to need to be stronger. You're going to need to have more muscle mass. But there still are so many commonalities across like field sports that if you understand that kind of baseline oh, these are the kind of things you need to be thinking about for field sports. And then I layer on the more specific stuff to my actual sport. It's actually a much e- easier way to conceptualize this stuff, especially if you're a coach. Um, because rather than having to learn about every single individual field sport, you're like, oh, I've learned the baseline, the commonalities, the foundational stuff. And I only need to learn about the specifics then if I'm coaching an individual with whatever goal. Absolutely. And that's a segue nicely into our first segment, which is on the issue of needs analysis. So this is really important between sports and also within sport, um, like within sport differences and then within athlete differences. So for example, if you're um, you know, playing in goal versus, you know, being a striker in soccer, like they're very different requirements, you know, and clearly there are massive differences in rugby as well. You can see this. Uh, between you know someone that's a winger or someone that's a prop and so on. Okay, lots of different lots of differences there between those individual athletes, even just looking at them. Okay, so what you have to do first and foremost when you're thinking about trying to train for 
field sport. And I'm not talking about, you know, the formal training that you do with your club. Of course, that's more or less control. I'm talking about the strength conditioning that you do in your own time or with the strength conditioning coach. You have to ask yourself, what's your position and what are the general characteristics of players in that position? Okay, really important. And obviously, there's a certain amount of selection over time. For example, if you're 25 years old, and you've been playing sport for 15 years, let's say, over time, you've probably been selected for into given position based on your strength. Okay, So you probably know what they are. For example, is there a higher speed requirement um, in your position? Do you do far more rapid changing direct change of direction? Do you do more uh, jumping? Do you more, do more tackling? Do you need to have a larger body mass for your position? And so on. This is a fundamental start because what it gives you is a rough idea of what you should be aiming for. For example, if you weigh 75 kg and an average player at a professional level is 85 to 90 kg in your position, then maybe it's the case that you're just an exception to the rule and there's something that makes you different and still well able to play in that position. That's perfectly possible. But it's also possible that not being at that body mass could be a limiting factor for uh, your performance. So this is such a, a basic starting point, but it's a really important book because this is something that you would look at in even uh, combat sports, for example. If you were a combat sports athlete and you weighed 75 kg and you were in that weight class, we used to be have far more body fat and far less muscle than all the other guys that were in your weight class. Then maybe the question would be, should you be in a lower weight class or should you be aiming to gain more muscle to maintain that weight class? Exact same thing applies here with respect to position. 100%. I don't have much to add. Uh, we've talked about it before, like a needs analysis. You're going to need to do it for every sport, but then also if you're an individual coaching yourself, training yourself, you're going to need to do it for what is wrong, or I shouldn't say wrong with your game, what is missing in your game. Maybe it is a fitness component. Maybe it's a strength component. Maybe it's body composition, et cetera, et cetera. Like obviously it's sports specific then, but, and I think you're going to note it now in a second, like that does like being able to be accurate in that does actually really influence how we set up our training then, you know, is it, Oh, like you, for example, you and I, we won't like going to the gym. So it, it could be our bias to be like, Oh yeah, let's go to the gym. Let's really focus on getting stronger, getting bigger, etc. Right. And we both do jujitsu, but if we're focusing all our energy on getting bigger, getting stronger, and it's actually taking away from our jujitsu and it's not really something that we need to be focusing on because we're already at the top of our weight class, for example, or, you know, we're already in a better body composition than the same people in that weight class. Then why are we wasting our energy? You know, I would argue it's not wasting your energy, but that's my bias. But why are you really focusing on your energy on that when you would be better off focusing your energy on perhaps training more jujitsu or training more of your sports, your specific requirements, or perhaps maybe you have great body composition, you're strong enough, you have the you know, muscle mass that you need, et cetera, but your cardiovascular fitness is nowhere near where it needs to be for your position or for your sport in general. Again, you need to do this needs analysis to identify where you're weak, because then it will allow you to actually create a more, uh, and I was going to say consistent, a more appropriate program for your needs, you know? And the unfortunate thing is most people just skip this step. They'll type into Google or whatever, go, three-day gym rugby plan and it'll give you this generic 
oh yeah, here, focus on these things, do these movements, do this amount of volume in the gym. Cool. And yeah, that's great for getting you started, at least getting you into a training routine, whatever, but it might or might not be specific enough for your exact needs. And I know the two of us, we have a lot of clients on our roster, both now and in the past, uh, from various field sports where they've fallen down this trap of just following a generic plan of action or hearing these sound bites about their sport. Like we have a lot of, excuse me, soccer players, for example, and they're like, oh, it's a repeated sprint sport, you know? So I need to be hammering sprints. I need to be like at the best possible like sprinting performance. But then you look at their actual like aerobic fitness and it's nowhere near where it actually needs to be to be able to have that repeated sprint effort occur, especially not for 90 minutes and especially not if we've got multiple games per week, you know? So you can't just rely on the sound bites. You have to actually really dig a little bit deeper into the sport in general, the, like the requirements, the needs of that sport, and then your needs as an athlete yourself. Absolutely. And that's a, a good point because early on as an athlete, like let's say when you're a teenager, and like a generalized plan of action is actually a pretty good thing because what you're trying to do early on as an athlete is be somewhat of general. So you're trying to develop a general base fitness quality. And then over time, um, as you mature, you're able to identify more specific weaknesses that you can gen- that you can then address. So I had this conversation with um, uh, a soccer player who I was coaching recently, and he was you know, putting on himself that he needed to get two maximal intensity sprint sessions per week on top of the rest of the training. He had just, you know, kind of heard that that was a good idea and he thought it was a good idea. And it would be, potentially, if that was a big weakness in his game and we really need to focus on developing it. However, it wasn't. And he was also dealing with a couple of injuries that were, uh, in my estimation, likely provoked by all these high uh, intensity efforts. So what we did was we just pulled out one of those sprint sessions, reduced the volume of the one that we kept in because his speed was already a, a strength in his game. So there wasn't a point in adding all of this fatigue to a mode of training that wasn't going to be contributing to betterment of his, of his performance. We also see this a lot in field sports athletes who have a kind of a, a simultaneous interest in say, bodybuilding physique development. So they, you know, they like going to the gym because they want to look good as well. But they end up training as if they're a professional bodybuilder and it ends up taking away from their game potentially. And that's fine if the game isn't your priority, but if it is your priority, then the efforts that you're putting in are potentially compromising performance. So priorities and then needs analysis. The other thing you can do here when it comes to like um, identifying weaknesses is ask yourself, what have you or others identified as the weaknesses in your game? So, for example, look back over the last season that you played and ask yourself, what, what really let me down last season? Was it recurring injury, for example? Was it that I could never keep up with the player because of speed? Was it that I was gassing later on in, in games? And was it that I didn't have the body mass and power to overcome my opponents? And then ask yourself, what have others told you? You know, other players, uh, maybe scouts that have visited the club, your club manager, your S&D coach, etc. And try to be as objective about that as you can. Because if you're not objective about that, what you end up doing is kind of maybe what's trendy or maybe what everyone else is doing or what you feel you should be doing, but you're not being objective about it, okay? That's really important. And then the final component... Just, just on that, as well, like this, 
it's actually so hard to do because it does require a good bit of like introspection because one of the things might be something like your attitude, you know, like your actual attitude, like, Oh, I just, I turn up late and I go home early and stuff like that, where you're just like, like, they're all fine. Like if you're doing this as a hobby, you know, like, cool, no big deal. But if you are someone that's really trying to milk your field sports performance for all it's worth, you kind of need to be that person that's, you know, I'm, I show up early and I, I'm the last person to leave and I'm, I'm volunteering to clean up afterwards and maybe get a few extra minutes of, you know, training in or whatever, you know? Um, so it, it is quite hard to do a needs analysis and be honest with yourself because while we're obviously focusing on the more strength and conditioning aspects of things here and, you know, maybe the health aspects as well, some of the things are just, more psychological more the way you interact with the sport which obviously again you do have to be a lot more introspective then like if someone says you just have a shit attitude to the sport you're not a team player like you have to take that on board and that might be something that you need to work on now you might not know how to but at least you've identified the the pitfall in your game Absolutely. And that then comes to the final key question of needs analysis itself, which is, do you really have strength conditioning deficit or is this a skill or sport specific issue? Okay, this is so important because you can't just let them see your way out of non-SMC problems. This is something that you see a lot in uh, jiu-jitsu, for example. You look at the top guys and you look at what they what they actually do for training and it's like, okay, they all have very different strengths training programs, some of them kind of train like bodybuilders, some of them train in more of what might look like a sports specific fashion. And yeah, there's probably some role for these types of things there. But fundamentally what they do is they drill jiu-jitsu to sport, the skills for hours and hours and hours and hours, every single day for years on end. Okay. And that's absolutely key. It's something that I get asked about a lot. You know, people are like, oh I know I just started training jiu-jitsu. Have you any tips for me? Um, for my strength conditioning and at that point like strength conditioning probably isn't a problem just to keep showing up class and it's the exact same when it comes to field sports okay are you you know let's say you're a, a GA player or a soccer player like you know are, are you are you accurate <laughs> are you accurate when you're kicking the ball it's so basic you know how's, how's your catching how's your how's your drumming how's your soloing all these different skills that are fundamental to the sport itself need to be a big focus in your training so you can be that fittest guy you could be the strongest guy you could be the most powerful guy but if you're not able to accurately accurately kick the butt the, the ball over the bar you're not able to catch you're not able to perform the other sport specific skills of your sport then you're not really going to get anywhere okay it's a, if it was that simple we'd have with the involved then we'd go to the olympics to find all these peak athletes and have them all come and play sport okay so that's incredibly important don't miss out on that 100%. So with that in mind, Gary, field sports, where do we actually start with all this? Like, again, we'll call it strength and conditioning. It's just training. Yeah, so I think um, conditioning or cardio, fitness training, whatever you want to call it, is probably one of the core areas common to all field sports. Okay. You simply need to be very fit. Okay. You need to have a solid aerobic base. You need to have a sprint ability. You need to have repeated sprint ability, etc. So all field sports athletes, whether it's rugby, soccer, and so on, require a powerful aerobic engine. Okay, so you should start by 
referring to needs analysis that we referred to and asking yourself, you know, am I gassing in games? When we do a role test pre-season or uh, during the season, am I underperforming? Am I underperforming relative to players uh, in my position? Am I underperforming relative to the team as a whole? Okay. That then tells you how much priority you need to put onto or into your conditioning uh, program. Because what you should what, what you have to realize is that you're already doing conditioning work as part of your club training. So let's say you're training three nights a week, you're doing running, you're running laps, you're doing some sprints, all that is in there. And for some players, that might be enough for them to actually be at a high level of fitness relative to other players on the team. But for others, it may not. Okay. So what you can identify is where you stand on that ladder. And if you're the person that you're doing all the same training as others on the pitch, but your aerobic engine is clearly much poorer, then that needs to be a priority for you, both within the season and in the off-season. Okay. So what you can do is you review your team, your team training week, then you can add aerobic work accordingly. So for example, this could be after a skill session. So maybe on a Wednesday evening, you have a skill session where it's a lower fatigue session and you've got a gym on site or a gym that you can access. That'd be a good time to go and do some additional aerobic work. Okay, so you're going to do your conditioning work there when you've had a low fatigue session. You could also, you know, do it as a recovery session after a game or um, in the morning ahead of a session later on and so on. But the idea here is that you want to fill in a couple of gaps in your week with additional aerobic work so that you're building fundamentally that aerobic engine. Okay, so that's that can look like uh, multiple that can be set up in multiple different ways. For example, if you find that you know you have your legs are still super fresh, you might do some additional running. If you find that your legs aren't that fresh, you've got muscle soreness already, maybe you're going to do a lower impact activity like a bike or a stationary bike, cross trainer, etc. All you're doing is trying to get additional aerobic adaptation. So, what you might do is maybe start to 60 minutes. At around zone two or so. So you're looking at about 60 to 70% of your maximum heart rate. If you're doing that um, on top of your additional training, and you're doing that maybe two to three times per week, probably at most from a practical perspective, then that will contribute to you having a higher level of aerobic fitness. And it's definitely something you can prioritize in the off season because you can then maintain that in season. So if you put a lot of effort into this in the off season, those adaptations are there and they just have to be maintained. Okay. So from an aerobic perspective, I think it's just it's a really basic point. You need to have very solid aerobic fitness. It can train in multiple ways, but it all starts with the needs analysis and identifying is this something that you really need to work on? Do you need more insurance? Do you need more stamina? And if you're gassing out always in the last 15 minutes minutes of games, you're always underperforming an aerobic test, the answer to that question will be yes. Yeah. And I think the vast majority of people, well, I shouldn't say the vast majority, if they're athletes already, maybe not, but the vast majority of people that tend to be more recreational athletes, they probably need a bit more of an aerobic gas tank than they actually think they do. You know, like you can go into like, you know, some more quote unquote objective measures being like, oh, what's your resting heart rate? Is it sub 50? You know, oh, sub 50, you're probably aerobically quite fit you know you could maybe use hrv or something if your hrv is over 70 consistently probably quite fit but those two things are also influenced by so many other things stress level sleep etc etc so it's not quite perfect so going back to that needs analysis 
you start looking at how you perform in the games, how you recover between sessions. You know, are you someone that always has to be subbed off after halftime or whatever, because, you know, your performance is just slowly, quite quickly, actually, uh, just going down into the bin, right? Because you start off great, but then as soon as you have to do more and more repeated sprints, you just you just don't have the ability, right? So you, again, you have to go back to that needs analysis. You have to identify where you're weak. And for the vast majority of people, I would argue that it is that aerobic fitness. And that's somewhat unfortunate, especially if you are doing this recreationally, because training your aerobic system is probably the system that takes the most time to, to train. Like you have to just dedicate a lot of hours to it. Not just like, oh, I can, I can get stronger with a 30 minute gym session twice per week. You know, I have a lot of, you know, sports athletes that do that. They're consistently getting stronger and their actual training sessions quite short. They're just like, all right, cool. There's a gym on site and I just do a quick 30 minute session and, oh, I'm still consistently getting stronger. Whereas if it's your aerobic system that needs work, you just need to put in the the hours, you know? And unfortunately it takes a lot of time. And that is why there is a huge focus on, oh, we'll do some high intensity interval training for your sport. Oh, your sport is a repeated uh, sprint sport. So this is the thing that makes the most sense. And that's true to an extent. Like, yeah, doing some high intensity interval training will improve your aerobic fitness, especially if there's a larger volume of it, that there's no denying that. But, and especially in a sporting context, there's a lot of fatigue generated from that. And the thing that I say to a lot of my athletes, the thing that changes between being like a beginner to an intermediate athlete and then to an advanced athlete is the ability to manage fatigue appropriately. You know, like you see beginner athletes, they just basically blow their load every single week. They go in and they're like, oh, I'm just going to fucking train as hard as possible in the gym. So I know I'm fatigued from that. Oh, I'm going to train as hard as possible with my conditioning stuff. I'm really doing like a lot of anaerobic intervals and blah, blah, blah. And they're just super fatigued from that. And then they get to the game and they're fatigued. They don't perform as well. Whereas you see intermediate and advanced athletes, they know when to push and they also know when to pull back and they know how hard they should be training so that they're able to perform when they are supposed to perform, you know, and that's just a very hard thing to do. It's a very hard thing for me to explain for all you guys tell you what to do if this is just a generalized podcast, but it is really important and it really does come back to that fundamental needs analysis. And if you're in doubt, it probably comes back to building a bigger aerobic gas tank. (laughs) Absolutely. Now, with that said, it doesn't mean there's no place for speed and interval work. This can be incredibly important. Okay, as Paddy said, there's there's time efficiency in terms of just doing hard intervals. It does build your aerobic fitness. But when bringing in speed and interval work, you just have to be a bit more specific about what you're doing. So number one, what I would do is if I'm doing uh, you know closer like maximal uh, short sprints, or I'm doing slightly longer, really hard lactic sprints. I'll come back to those definitions in a moment, but if you're doing those, what you generally want to do is have them in that kind of Monday to Thursday window if you have a match at the weekend. So, for example, let's say you're playing a match on Saturday, that's always when your matches are. If you do really hard sprints on a Friday, you're going to almost perform on Saturday because you're going to be fatigued and sore. If had you done a, a light aerobic session, it wouldn't have had that effect. And maybe you might be a little bit defeated for what it would have been, but in consideration, this more anaerobic cardio, sprint interval cardio, 
is that it is more fatiguing. It can lead to more muscle soreness, and that's particularly the case if done with a weight-bearing activity. Okay, so if you're doing sprinting, you get a lot of loading, and as uh, when muscles are stretched, you get eccentric loading, and eccentric loading of tendon band muscles, and that can lead to a lot more muscle soreness versus something like, let's say, an assault bike. The beauty of which is that it is primarily a concentric activity, okay, rather than involving eccentric loading. So these are the practical considerations that come, should come into your internal planning. So I would say Monday to Thursday, when you would do that sprint or anaerobic type of activity, um, ideally closer to the start of the week, so you have more time to recover. Again, it comes back to how the rest of your week is structured. And what you need to do then is ask yourself, what am I actually trying to prioritize? Is it maximal speed? and or maximal acceleration, okay, slightly different, but is that what you're looking for? And over what distance? Or is it just anaerobic capacity that you're trying to develop? So for example, it's the ability to, it's not necessarily the speed that you're trying to achieve, but rather the maintenance of that speed and the ability to overcome that muscle burning, let's say, that you get later on in the game. Is it the repeat principle that you need to work on? These are actually different things because if you go out and you do, let's say, a 100-meter sprint and you do 10 reps of that with 30 to 60 seconds of training, that is going to be a brutal session, but it's not going to make you faster. Okay, if you're a beginner, it might, but it's probably not going to make you faster because what you're doing there is, in the first in the first rep, yeah, you're going to be training maximum speed. You're going to be working on trying to really maximize how fast you can run, but in subsequent reps, you're going to slow down, slow down, slow down, slow down. Really hard anaerobic training. You're getting a lot of aerobic volume in there as well, but it's not taking you towards maximum speed. So you need to know the difference between that those types of sessions, maybe 100 to 400 meter intervals that you might be doing, or 10 to 30 second intervals on an assault bike, versus you going out and doing 20 to 60 meter sprints with adequate recovery in between, so that you're able to hit max velocity. They're very different things. And people often don't differentiate between the two, which is why I don't really like the term just hit or interval, because what exactly you need can vary a lot. Yeah, and this is, again, goes back to that needs analysis. Like, you have to be so specific. Well, if you're a beginner, you can probably afford to be more generalized. But again, once you start getting into that intermediate and advanced, you need to be more and more specific. Like, maybe you are fast enough. Maybe you are able to keep that up, but your change of direction is shit. You know, like if it's a straight line that you're, you're good. But as soon as there's a bit of zigzagging going in, you're off. Or perhaps it is a case that as soon as someone gives you a little bit of a knock while you're at top speeds, then you're off, you know? So all of these things have to be trained differently. And all, obviously some of them are easier to train, like going out and just being like, oh, here's a, a field I can just run in a straight line, happy days, you know, versus if I'm like, oh, it's actually, it is when I get a knock and then I can't recover that momentum or whatever, you know, that's a lot harder to train, but you can train that. You can be more specific with that. But first of all, you have to identify it. You have to identify, oh, well, that's actually the area that I need to improve on, you know? So again, I agree with you, Gary. Um, When we're talking about intervals or anaerobic training or sprint training or whatever, we need to be specific. And not only do we need to be specific with what we're actually trying to train, we also need to be specific with regards to the recovery from that. And I mean both during the session and then after the session, because you see this all the time across the board, across various athletes. They'll try to turn their sprint training sessions into these like 
death sessions being like, all right, I'm doing some sort of like 30 second sprint and I'm only going to take 30 seconds recovery. And yeah, that's definitely a potential method for creating some sort of metabolic, you know, stress on the body, but that's not the way that you maximize your performance in a 30 second sprint. Like you want complete or almost complete at least recovery from that, you know? So you're probably going to do, yeah, 30 second sprint with three, maybe even five minutes (laughs) rest in between, you know? And again, there's potential to do other things during that potential to do like skill work. Like you're doing like some sort of like active recovery and you're just dribbling the ball, for example, you know, there, there is still potential for stuff to do in that recovery yeah. period, but you're not just going, Oh yeah, I'm just going to do 30 seconds, sprint 30 seconds off 30 seconds, sprint 30 seconds off. You know, it's just not the, the best way to set things up. So again, we need to be cognizant of the recovery demands during the session like what's the best way to maximize the performance in that session and the training uh, adaptations in that session but then also how long is it going to take me to recover from this you know if i do 20 hard sprints even if i take enough recovery in between them am i now dead for a week like are my legs now just in bits for a week you know am i just destroyed like that's very possible you know 20 hard sprints like that's a lot. That's a big recovery. Like imagine you did 20 hard sets of squats, for example, right? You'd be like, right, that's, that's a big, that was a hard workout, you know, if you're used to training in the gym. So why would you think any different from sprinting? Like it's quote unquote maximal effort, even if it's, you know, sub-maximal, like you need to think about the rest of your week. And again, this goes back to what I said earlier on about like beginners, they just blow their load early. They just go, oh, yeah, I'm just going to go in and destroy myself in this session with no regard for what's coming up later in the week or later in the month or later in the year, you know, whereas those intermediate and advanced people, they're going, okay, yeah, well, actually, if I train that hard on, even if it's a Monday and I have a game on Saturday, I'm probably still going to feel some fatigue in my legs. You know, I'm probably going to still feel a little bit drained, you know? So during the training sessions during the week, the coach is going to be looking at me going, he's not fit to play. He's not at his best, you know, he needs more rest. So then you don't even get that game, you know? So intermediate and advanced, they know when to push and they know when to pull back. And I would say for the vast majority of people training all sports, if they actually just trained or went into training with the the thought process of training a little bit below their capacity, like just keeping a little bit more in the tank, they would actually get way more out of their sport. Maybe not just initially, You know, they might see, oh, there's no difference over a month, three months, maybe even 12 months. But across their whole career, their whole training career, they're going to get less injuries. They're going to have more playing time. They're going to be more rested when it's important to be rested so that they can actually perform, you know. So that is something that it just takes time to learn and you just have to be cognizant of it. Absolutely. And I think the parallel with strength training really helps to illustrate this point to people because like if you're a powerlifter and you try to do, let's say, five sets of five at 85, 90% of one rep max, you're going pretty much to failure on each set of five. And you do that with 45 to 60 seconds rest. How do you think that would go for maximum strength development? Very poorly. Okay, You're not going to be recovered with three sets. This is why powerlifters will rest so much between sets they're trying to recover their ability to have maximal or close to maximal output again and that's the exact same here when it comes to maximal uh, sprint ability so in summary there you've kind of got three primary modes of, of conditioning that you can do you've got your 
your speed training, which is maximal, short, and rested. Okay, so you want to be well rested between bouts. Um, obviously, the rest is proportional. If you're just doing twice 10 meter acceleration versus 40 to 60 meter sprint, the rest will vary. Um, you've got your aerobic training. Okay, so that's your easy, long, continuous work. And then you've got your anaerobic or lactic training, which is extremely hard, short, moderate in terms of its intensity. It could be anywhere between 10 and 60 seconds. It might even be up to three minutes of maximal effort um, or close to maximal effort. And it's generally very fatiguing, okay? And obviously, there's crossover between all three of these domains, but thinking of them in that way can help you to try to map out your training a little bit. Now, of course, when it comes to field sports, there are a couple of additional, additional elements that feed in there. For example, like you mentioned previously, is your ability, is, is your straight line running fantastic? But when it comes to changing direction, um, training agility, etc., these are... Uh, additional challenges for you. These are the these things are actually your limiting factors. Then they might come in and factor into your speed training. For example, you might do um, a sprint out to a, a cone and then change direction, or a sprint out waiting for someone to tell you which direction to run so that you immediately have to make that decision. Okay, so there's many different ways to put that into practice. There's many different ways of putting all the conditioning training practice or into practice in general. But I think that's a fair summary. Things you should be thinking about planning conditioning training to feel for. Yeah, the only thing I would add to this, and it's obvious enough, is that most field sports have on seasons and off seasons, and you're going to be able to train potentially harder during your off season, but that doesn't necessarily always mean that you should, right? And the reason I say that is because so many people go into their season with a boatload of fatigue because they spent their off season, whether it was two months, three months, four months, obviously it depends on the sport, but they spent all that off season absolutely destroying themselves, which is fine. You know, we all want to train hard, but again, you need to be ready when you're supposed to be ready, you know? And I very often do this. Like I know I have a few uh, athletes right now who are thinking, okay, well, sports start again in September. So we're going to still be maximizing our training. We're still going to be maximizing our you know, performance right now. But we need to be thinking, okay, well, I want to have at least a week, maybe two weeks of this kind of like tapering before I actually get back into the season itself so that I can wash away that fatigue, right? So there, are, you, you do need to think about this stuff on a yearly, ideally multi-yearly uh, timescale. And that's just hard for a lot of people because, again, it's just a recreational thing. You're not thinking like, when should I organize my uh, holiday so that I can maximize my recovery going into my uh, training season? You know, I know a lot of people, they, they do actually do that because, you know, sport is a big part of their life. But you do kind of need to be thinking, well, when is it appropriate to push and when is it appropriate to pull back? So that's just something that I wanted to make a note of. Absolutely. And then that brings us to the second big category of training, which is resistance training. Okay, so this is obviously a big part of the strength component in particular of strength conditioning. It may be self-led or it may be club-led, coach-led. It totally depends on the sport and the level at which you're playing. Okay, different clubs with different resources. You may or may not have a strength conditioning coach. So there are, again, hugely variable requirements. If you're a prop in rugby, you need a lot of muscle mass. You need a lot of strength. You know, if you're a, a winger and soccer you played on the left wing and your whole game is based on you know you being fast you being skillful at center you know having a two three hundred kilo deadlift probably isn't that important but most athletes and most 
field work and for general holiday would benefit from greater relative strength and greater muscle to fat mass ratio. So what I mean by that is relative strength, meaning that the amount you can lift relative to your body weight. So for example, if you're 80 kg and every other player is 80 kg, but you have a considerably stronger deadlift, you know, over double body weight versus everyone else, which is just one times body weight, that's an advantage. Okay. If you had that same deadlift, but you had to gain a deal of body mass, it may not be an advantage. Similarly, when it comes to the muscle to fat mass ratio, fat doesn't do much for you in sport, or at least in multiple. Okay. Obviously, there's an advantage of having some extra fat in terms of just mass for certain positions in rugby and for a sport like uh, sumo wrestling, of course. Uh, so some sports, but you, there will be an advantage of having a little bit of extra fat mass just to make up some extra mass. But generally speaking, the more of your weight is composed of muscle and the less composed of fat, the better an athlete you will be. Remember, muscle does the work. So if you're you know, sprinting, let's say you need to be able to sprint, and you have, you were to think about having an extra five kilos of muscle versus five kilos of fat, five kilos of muscle is actually going to do something for you. Five kilos of fat is literally just being carried, okay? So if you get an extra kilo of hamstring muscle versus an extra kilo of fat on your leg, the hamstring muscle can produce force, okay? It can be trained in order to have high velocity strength and high speed properties. But the fat is not to do anything for you. Literally, you're just being carried, okay? So those two key elements are common to pretty much all the sports. Yeah, and the, the really hard thing about this is that some sports, like say, for example, again, rugby, like the ideal would be that you have low body fat and just boat loads of muscle. However, that's actually quite hard to do. Yes. <laughs> so you do have to have this little bit of a trade-off where, okay, you know, all the other players that are in my position are 120 kilos and yeah, I'm hundred kilos of muscle, but they're still 20 kilos heavier than me, you know? So if I'm taking a hit from them or I'm trying to defend them or whatever it is, whatever the sport is, you know, you still have to have that trade-off where they have 20 kilos more than you and mass just moves mass, you know? So you might actually have to gain some more fat. The ideal would be that you were just able to gain more muscle, but that's not always the case. So even though fat, fat mass is not ideal when compared to muscle, that doesn't mean to say that you're never prioritizing it. You're never trying to intentionally gain some fat. However, the trade-off in a sporting context is that you now have to carry around for the vast majority of time, whatever, 10, 5, 10, 15, 20 kilos of quote-unquote unfunctional mass. Yeah, it's functional when you're taking that hit and you've 20 kilos of extra mass to, to help you or 20 kilos of extra mass to do the tackle. But then all of the other time, you have to run around with that. You have to carry. You have to basically run around with a 20 kilo weight vest on. You know, so that's the trade off. And that's really hard, especially in a sport like rugby, where you kind of really do have to be a little bit bigger. You know, you do have to have a bit more mass, especially for certain positions. Obviously, other positions, it's not the case. Um, But in most sports, you're probably going to want to be on the leaner side of side of things and have that little bit more muscle mass that doesn't mean that you have to have maximal amounts of muscle mass like if you're a soccer player like i would argue that it's not really all that functional like yeah obviously to an extent it is if it's all located on your your legs for example you would presume you have better 
ability at least or capacity i should say to be able to sprint faster generate more power jump higher whatever right but you still have to carry around that mass you know you still have to carry around that weight so there is a there is a a balancing point here depending on the exact sport yeah uh you don't all have to have calves like jack greenish although that would be the idea you know all I'm saying, all I'm saying is, if you look at any of the best sporting athletes, none of them have calves. In <laughs> any fight sport, all the best athletes, no calves. In all of the like sprint sports, no calves. Jumping sports, no calves. So uh, it's just, it's just something you know. It's maybe not causation. Maybe it's just correlation. Maybe it's just a little bit of cope by my uh, lack of calves. But calves are a non-functional muscle. Those big, thick, bungee cards, Achilles instead. That's all you need. Literally just this thick, you know, yeah. So on the note of really important muscles, what you should do when you're doing resistance training, sport with sport, is prioritize quote-unquote functional muscles. And what I mean by that are muscles that play a primary role in your sporting activity, okay? Probably don't need to say this, but obviously, if you're playing soccer, hamstrings and glutes are probably important. Chest and biceps less so okay still vary of course you know there's a considerable advantage again in rugby to having strong upper body but in soccer and uh, okay probably not going to do much for you you're not even you're barely allowed to tackle when you do people just dive anyway so it's not a very heavy contact sport these days so prioritize muscles that are actually going to give you a return on investment because this actually also contributes to um the relative strength component uh, and the the muscle the muscle to overall body mass ratio of particular muscles and what i mean by this is let's say lance armstrong is probably the best example of this you know when he was cycling tour de france the story goes that he wouldn't even carry shopping or anything because he didn't want any extra muscle mass on his upper body okay because he wanted to be aerodynamic he wanted to have to carry any additional muscle mass he just wanted to be able to cycle that was it that was his only goal so you know, to some extent, it's similar in field sports. So if you're a soccer player, having some upper body muscle mass maybe might be a small advantage, but it's lower body muscle mass that's really going to give you the advantage. So if you could take the player, both of them maybe kg, and, you know, take 5k, or, or one of them has, you know, an extra 10 kg of upper body muscle mass, and one has 10 kg of lower body muscle mass, the lower body muscle mass can at least do something for that player. And uh, that's not to say, again, that having massive legs is important, but rather that if you are going to prioritize your resistance training, it would be more advantageous to focus on the muscles that are active for, for your sport. Okay. Yeah. And this is, this is also another really hard thing because you ideally still want to be strong in your upper body, regardless of your sport. Like if it's soccer, for yeah, example, absolutely. and Gary's saying, oh, look, you don't really need to use your upper body. You can hardly even tackle. Like, yes, that's true. But even stuff like just being able to like have the elbow out to hold off a player when you're both like right beside yeah. each other running for a ball, like you still need to be strong in that position. You still need to be strong in the upper body to, you know, just be able to physically hold yourself up, you know, physically maneuver yourself in the environment. You know, there's a bit of jostling in, you know, whatever, there's a corner or something like you still need to have some sort of physicality about you. But 
with the limited training time that we have, the limited training budget that we have, spending 20 hours trying to get your upper body, your get your forearms, get your you know deltoids to be as perfectly uh, symmetrical as possible, that's probably not the best use of your time, right? So you just have to prioritize the things that make the biggest difference for your sport, for your position. Again, going back to that needs analysis. Um, but, and again, maybe it's our bias, we would probably still say that being strong in the upper body is a good thing. You know, even if it isn't necessarily perfectly applicable for your sport, it is definitely a benefit for your long-term health. You know, like, I don't think that's debatable, really. Absolutely. And I mean, we certainly can't make the argument that upper body strength is going to, our upper body muscle mass can slow you down very much if you look at the 100 meter, 100 meter sprint physique <laughs> they've got more than enough muscle mass so like you know it, it's not really going to slow you down it's a case of just prioritization that's all we're talking about we have to be practical here so what you might do is consider yourself as a fairly general upper body training so maybe you do a horizontal push and horizontal pull on monday and then you do a vertical pull vertical push on a wednesday something like that but where you're getting far more specific is in your lower body training so in your lower body training what you'd be thinking about are things like, for example, um, hypertrophy and strength generally further um, in the off-season, pre-season. So you're thinking about trying to maybe build up muscle mass if you don't have much muscle mass or developing maximal strength. You do that further from the season. Then you want to convert that, so to speak, or specialize that in the form of high-velocity strength, power, and speed as it comes to the in-season period. So, for example, you might change from doing um, maximal sets of three to five reps on a squat to doing something like repeated set three with 60% of one rep max for your performing the concentric really explosively, something like that. You know, you might bring in jump squats for plyometric ability and explosiveness. You're basically looking at your resistance training in a phase periodized approach where hypertrophy and strength is more of a focus further from the season and the higher velocity, power, and speed components are more of a priority as it comes into the season. That doesn't have to be absolute. It's not a strict change. You can do bits of both at each respective point in the season or the year, but it's just a case of where you put your priority. Okay. And the other thing is that when you're focusing on hypertrophy and strength, generally what that looks like is you're doing more overall training. You're doing more overall training volume. But then when it comes to the in-season period, we've already mentioned that you're going to be doing your field training. You're focusing on your sport-specific training. You're focusing on uh, the conditioning that we've mentioned. So clearly doing an additional five days of intensive resistance training isn't going to be in your best interest, really. So it might be that you just do maintenance resistance training volume, maybe two sessions per week, versus doing your three to four sessions per week in the off-season, okay? And again, all comes back to priorities. This also ties in with kind of rehab and prehab considerations as well, because resistance training plays an important role here. If, for example, if you have recurrent hamstring strains or recurrent Achilles tendinopathy or whatever it happens to be, that might be more of a priority area for you. Similarly, you could have had many issues with your back, maybe. So you might think of it as being a very important part of your sport, but you could have had lack of low back pain or recurrent low back injuries or muscle strains. Maybe that's something that's more of a focus for you as an individual. So it all depends on, again, going back to the needs analysis. And not just strengths and weaknesses, but also injuries that you've had in the past and how that then factors in to your resistance training. Yeah, 100 percent And this is this is one of those things as well where it really depends on what you actually need. Again, going back to that needs analysis. Like I've had 
lots of trainees, athletes that we still really just focus on getting stronger, getting a little bit bigger in the off season and throughout the season. Now, yeah, we might put a little bit more emphasis on it in the off season uh, and we're just kind of more at a, what I always call a gaintenance uh, phase during the season, excuse me, where we're still focusing on like general hypertrophy exercises, rep ranges, etc. But we're not necessarily pushing the volume, pushing the intensity, et cetera, et cetera. Um, we might do that for two, three years, you know, and that's okay because that was the biggest thing that they actually needed. They just needed to be generally a bit stronger, generally a bit bigger. They didn't need, they, they were okay in terms of speed. They're okay in terms of all those other qualities that we could potentially be focusing on in the gym, right? Now, there usually comes a point where we're like, right, we don't necessarily need to get much stronger. We don't necessarily need to get much bigger. Now we need to really hammer down on, okay, can we quote unquote convert that into really sports specific, you know, exercise selection, really sports specific exercise modalities, et cetera, et cetera. You know? um, so even though Gary is saying that the ideal case here is yes, have this like general phase based training, that's not always the case. And Similar to what we said earlier on about like the aerobic fitness side of things where, you know, most people probably need to spend a little bit more time with just general getting fitter, getting more of an aerobic base. I would argue that a lot of people just generally need to get a bit more consistent with some sort of resistance training. And probably the easiest way to do that is to have this like quasi bodybuilding style training where you're doing like three sets of six to eight reps, not excessively fatiguing, not, well, maybe we'll say like two to three reps from failure, maybe four reps from failure during the season, maybe a little bit lower volume, you're only doing two sets, whatever, right? For a lot of people, that's probably all they realistically need to do. And that should be their focus. But once you start getting into those kind of more intermediate and advanced ranks, then you kind of need to be focusing on other things. Absolutely. Um, I don't think I have too much else to add really on the resistance training or conditioning component. The only thing I'd like to wrap up on is, again, just reiterating that point that there are sport-specific skills that cannot really be trained all that well in your SP training. And I'd encourage you to avoid like over-specialized training. And what I mean by that is just trying to replicate your sport in the gym. You see people do this all the time where they try to just replicate sport-specific activities with you know, cables um, or they're trying to overcomplicate things like trying to squat on an uneven surface, like a, a ball shoe ball or something like that, so that they can practice their balance or these types of things. But these are all really low yield activities. And, you know, just because it looks a bit more like your sport or seems like it's more advanced, it often doesn't have much of a high yield. And what you see among amongst the best the best athletes and especially those that make the most improvements to their strength conditioning is that they focus on their resistance training you know in a way that they need to okay as 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 we discussed um in accordance with the needs analysis they focus on their conditioning they don't do anything all that fancy they're doing the hard stuff on the assault bike they're doing the sprint work they're doing their slow boring aerobic work and maybe they do some additional stuff focused on their own injuries that they've had but really the rest of it is undoubtedly sports itself okay it's you on the pitch practice you kick it's you you know having certain cues that you use in certain situations on the pitch um and so on 
Okay, that's that's the core of sport. S and C is supplementary. Yeah, the only thing I want to just expand on there, excuse me, is on the injury prevention side of things. Like a lot of this just comes down to building general robustness, like being strong all over. However, if you can identify things in that needs analysis where you're like, oh, well, I play this sport and these are very common injuries. These are very frequent injuries that happen in my position in whatever, you know, uh, rugby, whatever the fuck sport you play, right? Identify them, then maybe identify injuries that you've had in the past or you struggle with, and then integrate that into your programming. Be like, okay, that's a, I always have frequent shoulder injuries, you know? Can we come up with a just generalized strengthening of that shoulder girdle area? You know, maybe it's not, you're, you're not actually doing any specific, you know, rehab or prehab or whatever you want to call it work. Like you're not sitting there doing like Cuban rotations or, you know, rotate, rotator cuff, excuse me, <clears throat> rotator cuff exercises or anything like that. You're just, oh, I'm just going to do a dumbbell shoulder press. You know, I'm just generally going to get my shoulders a bit more strong, you know, a bit stronger, a bit more robust. It could look like that. But this is something that you should have an eye to. If you have frequent recurring injuries, that's going to have to be in, like taken into account in your program design. If there are frequent recurring injuries or frequent injuries that happen in your sport and in your position, again, you want to just have an eye to that. And it's a little bit beyond the scope of this episode because it's obviously sport-specific, injury-specific, person-specific. But if you can build a little bit more robustness, both just in a general sense and then in a specific sense to whatever injuries are likely to occur in your sport, that's a good thing. And it doesn't have to be excessive. It could literally be just part of your program, whether it's just an exercise or two that you have in your program, whether it's just you pay a little bit more attention in your warm up or cool down or whatever to those areas, or maybe you just have like the, you know, a bit more of a focus. You're like, all right, I consistently have hamstring issues so i'm gonna actually just spend a lot more time really rehabbing this really prehabbing this really just getting those hamstrings as strong as possible like it just has to be taken account of in your overall program design i don't know if you have anything to say on that gary no i mean i totally agree really you know i think that when it comes to injury prevention we talk about it all the time like load management is a core factor considering what sport it is the core factor and then your injury history. So, for example, if I was going to play a field sport, I'd be really focusing on my hamstrings. They'd be my absolute priority. You know, I wouldn't be worried too much about trying to spend that time preventing quad strains or anything because I don't have a basis for that. Okay, my hamstrings are a weak point. My adductors have been a weak point in the past. And that's just personal knowledge of what I need to work on. For you, it might be your calves. So don't just focus on just the general. Do try to zoom in on specific, and that will then guide you. Because far too many people do these like uh, complex like so-called injury prehab and rehab routine to, to prevent injury but they do them for muscles and joints that they've never had an issue with and not to the point of getting any additional adaptation so it's unclear why we're spending time on those activities yeah like again you see people doing 40 minutes of a generalized prehab rehab before they even get into hard training and now all they are is fatigued for their actual yeah. training so yeah, I think that uh, summarizes most of what we want to cover when it comes to training for field sports. Hopefully you have some take-home points. I think the big thing that we've mentioned so many times is just that needs analysis component. 
it is so important. Um, it's so important for us as you know, jiu-jitsu athletes or trainees. Um, you know, again, we're not going to the gym every day thinking, God, I need to, I definitely need to have an extra 10 kilos of muscle mass in order to get better at jiu-jitsu. Like, that'd be nice. I would take it, but probably more time drilling, probably more time revising technique is going to be much higher yield. And that's important for the vast majority of sports. Okay. So um, that concludes the end of this episode. If you'd like assistance with your training or nutrition, we do have a coaching service that we run. We have full coaching, which involves training, nutrition, and all the rest. And then we have nutrition-only coaching. Uh, if you'd like to work with us in either of those capacities, you can find information about that in the description box below. Um, on the nutrition note, our nutrition coaching certification will be reopening in about six months' time. So coming uh, toward the end of 2023 or January, January 2024, you'll be uh, seeing the launch. So that pre-launch will be a little bit earlier for those of you who are on the wait list. And you'll also get um, additional incentives such as discounts, et cetera, on signing up. So make sure that you are on the wait list if you are interested in getting certified as a nutrition coach with triage. And again, the link to that will be in the description box below. We have a lot of other information that we put out on our social media at Triage Method. Um, Instagram is probably where we're the most active. You'll also find us on YouTube, you'll find us on Twitter and other places. We also have a newsletter that goes out every single week and it includes exclusive content that you won't find on our social media. So if you just want to keep learning more about the science of health, performance, body composition, and also just want to keep up with all the content we're putting out, the newsletter, email newsletter is a great place to go. 100%. Anyway, I don't have anything else to add, so we'll see you guys next week.